If you don't know me, my name is Sean. I am the worship pastor here, and uh, I have been tasked with preaching today. And some of you may be wondering, why is the worship guy preaching? Well, I'm wondering the same thing. (laughs) But we're going to have fun anyway. Um, Yeah, Paul's going away for a couple weeks on study and on holidays, so we pray that he will have some rest and some uh, some good time away. And uh, I want to thank you all for being, uh, well, I guess the first service were the guinea pigs, so you're test number two, because this is my first sermon. I have never done this before, so uh, don't worry, I won't be offended if you feel the need to get up and leave. <laughs> I, I will, won't take that personally, but uh, I would encourage you to just to hold on, because I've only really got about seven minutes, and we're going to sing 28 songs to close, so <laughs> just, just hold on, okay? It'll get better. Lori, you didn't know you are doing that, but... As the Spirit leads. So anyway, it is a joy to worship God uh, around His Word together this morning and to invite Him to speak and to uh, open the Word and allow Him to use uh, the words that I'm going to say to really drive home His truth uh, from His Word. And so uh, I would encourage you to take the Bibles that are in front of you or take your Bibles if you've got them and uh, we're going to read the passage together. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It's going to sound different. But uh, you can follow along and get the gist of where I'm going. And it's just a way to, uh, it uses words that just paint the picture differently. And what I want to do, my hope this morning, is to just really paint the picture in our minds of what God is up to in this uh, chapter 9 of the book of Acts. A couple weeks ago we looked at the day of Pentecost, uh, which is the birthday of the church. So we're going to continue in that, focus on the book of Acts, seeing where where God is working and where uh, he is taking us. So... Here we go. Let me read. We're in Acts chapter 9, uh, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him and he fell to the ground. And he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Then then the men with Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days, did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now, and I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in, laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. 
He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. He got up and was baptized. And afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this word before us this morning. God, our prayer is that uh, you would come to the foreground, Jesus, that I would fade to the background, that you, by your Spirit, would drive home in our hearts the truth of who you are and how you work and your plan that you have set before us. And so I pray that you would uh, speak your truth to us this morning. And may your word go out and just impress on the hearts of us as your people gathered here of your great love and your grace and your mercy that you've bestowed upon us and the invitation that you've given us to be part of this grand adventure, this grand story that you're telling. So speak to us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So before we dive into the text, I want to set the stage a little bit. We're going to do a quick fast forward through essentially the first eight chapters of the book of Acts. A little bit of preamble to establish our context, to paint the picture in our minds of what God is doing uh, as the church is beginning, what what God's up to. So two weeks ago, again, we looked at Pentecost, 120 believers gathered in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit comes upon them in power. They're given the ability to speak in all sorts of different languages. Peter preaches an incredible sermon. The eyes and the hearts of all those who hear are opened. And some 3,000 people come to faith. This is the day the church is born. They start to meet together, they share meals together, they worship at the temple together. Many signs and wonders are being performed, healings, incredible times of witness before the council of Jewish leaders. People come to faith every day. It says in the text, it says, the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Momentum is building. The church is on the move. Peter and John are preaching with power and authority. And amidst this momentum, this this great, awesome movement that's beginning, persecution starts. Peter and John are put in jail. They're released. All the while, threats are uttered by the Jewish leaders. So the believers come together. They pray for courage. They're united. They sell their possessions. They give to each who has a need. And remember the story about Ananias and Sapphira who sell their land, but then they lie to the church and they lie to God about the amount that they got for it. And so God says, I'm not going to have any of that. And he puts them to death. Again, all of this preamble, we're painting the picture of what's going on in Jerusalem at the time of the early church, where it's all of this, all of us sitting here together, way back when, this is when it all started. This is our beginning, essentially, as a church. Okay, all of this is preamble. We're painting the picture in our minds. Remember what Stephen is, uh, is preached, or he's preaching. He's arrested, preaches this sermon. They don't like what he has to say, and so they stone him, and they kill him. The Jewish leaders do. And at Stephen's stoning, there's a guy there by the name of Saul. And he's watching, he's encouraging what's going on. We're going to get to him. More and more persecution is happening. The believers are scattered, but they still, wherever they go, they're preaching the good news, People are still being converted. They're being baptized. Remember the Ethiopian eunuch. As he's riding along, reading the scriptures, Philip comes on the scene and says, hey, yeah, that passage in Isaiah, that's talking about Jesus. Let me tell you about this guy. Okay, the Ethiopian comes to faith. He says, hey, there's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? So Philip goes and dunks him, right? Still with me? All of this is to set the context for what is going on in the early church. God is doing amazing things. The gospel is preached 
People's hearts are being renewed and they're being set free. This is what it looks like when the kingdom of God comes. Jesus said, my kingdom is at hand. Well, when when hearts are transformed, when lives are renewed, when the blind see and the lame walk, the good news is preached. This is what it looks like when the kingdom of God comes. And amidst all of that, there's persecution happening. And rising to the top of that persecution is the, the persecutor of persecutors. And, of course, that guy we're talking about is Saul, right? Now, that, there's a quick little fast-forward through the first eight chapters. We've set the context. We, we, we know where we are. Uh, Acts chapter 9. Uh, we were just in Jerusalem. Now we're focusing on uh, Acts 9. Uh, the text says that, uh, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath. He was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest, requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. For he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Okay, so he's on the road to Damascus. And if we were to look at a map, here's Jerusalem. Damascus is about 320 kilometers northeast of Jerusalem. So it's a long way. If I'm I'm from Calgary, Alberta, and Edmonton's a good three-hour drive, 300K. So if, if I'm on horseback or if I'm in a little cart being pulled by some guy going to take a while. So he's on that road, 320k, uh, northeast of Jerusalem. Saul is, is traveling there, uttering threats. He's eager to kill the Lord's followers. He's sending letters ahead of him to the synagogues in Damascus, saying, hey, do you know anybody who claims this name of Jesus? Round him up for me, because I want to take him back to Jerusalem in chains, right? I want to I take him so we can deal with these guys. Um, and I don't know if you know, the early church, um, they were called to be followers of the way, uh, that was how they referred to in the beginning, because Jesus claimed to be, obviously, the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father, the only way to be forgiven. So they were called followers of the way. Okay, so we're traveling on this Damascus road. And here in this text is a, is a fabulous picture of what it looks like when God is in action. When God is at work. We're about to see someone, uh, see God take someone who is walking one path. God says, no, I have a better and a bigger and a different plan than you have. And he sets him on this road when he's going this way. He takes him from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, to the, from the kingdom of the enemy to the kingdom of God. Okay? And this is something that only God can do. Only God can do this, this work in the heart. For he initiates it. He steps in and performs a mighty work of transformation in the heart of this guy Saul. Okay, and that brings us to the text, or the, the title of the message today. I simply called it, He Changes Me. Because that's what God does. That's what he did for Saul. He changes me. So I want us to actually say that together as a people a few times. He changes me. Say it with me. He changes me. He changes. Say it to your neighbor, actually. He changes me. Okay? Just that idea. He changes us from the inside out. Uh, read verse 3. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him and he fell to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. The voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and I'll tell you what you must do. I think one of the observations I have or I see here, what a close tie between the church and Christ, right? Saul thinks he's going after the people who follow this Jesus. Jesus says, no, you're coming after me. 
them and I are one. I live within them. My spirit is there. So you come after them, you're coming after me. Right? So, and actually, our first fill in the blank, if we're following along, uh, make it very easy. It'll be on the screen too. It is God is working. Okay? God is working. See, Saul is on a mission to kill Christians. That's his plan. Okay? Jesus himself steps in and says, No, I'm the one you're persecuting. Get up and I'll tell you what you must do. Because I have a different plan. Um, I was doing a little research as I was preparing. Uh, the IVP New Testament commentary, and I think it'll be up in behind, uh, about Saul's conversion says this, The most important event in human history, apart from the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, other than Jesus, the most important event is the conversion to Christianity of Saul of Tarsus. For if Saul had remained a Jewish rabbi, we would be missing 13 of 27 books of the New Testament and Christianity's early major expansion to the Gentiles. Humanly speaking, without Paul, Christianity would probably be only of antiquarian or arcane interest, like the Dead Sea Scrolls community or the Samaritans. So essentially, we wouldn't be here today if God had not turned Saul around. Because I would hazard a guess that we're probably mostly Gentiles in this place uh, together this morning. So this guy, God changing this life, is hugely important for us. Okay? God is working. And he has chosen Saul to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Remember, this wasn't Saul's plan. This was God's plan. Because he is sovereign and he is in control. And he is working his purpose out. Not our purpose. His purpose out. And he uses us to do it. It's for his good, or our good and for his glory. For God is working. Point number two is this. And we'll pick it up in verse 10. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias, yes, Lord, he replied. I want you to go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas, and when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I've shown him in a vision of a man named Ananias coming in, laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about this terrible guy, the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. He is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went, he found Saul, he laid his hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me to you so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Point number two is this. Trust and obey. God asks Ananias to do something. Says in a vision, uh, says that he's given a vision and the Lord is speaking to him. Uh, And God says very clearly what he wants Ananias to do. Sometimes, you know what, I must admit, I'm envious of this sometimes. God, would you just tell me the street, the time, the day, the house number, who to talk to, where do I go, what do I do? Make it this clear. And for Ananias, it's, this, 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 and this. Place your hand on him. I'll heal him. Boom. You know, just follow what I'm telling you to do. Uh, I wish it was that clear uh, sometimes. But Ananias, what does he do? His reaction is fear. So Saul must have been, I'm, as I'm thinking about this, picture this in your head. Saul must have been a pretty bad dude. If Almighty God has just given you very, very clear instructions and a task to do, and you have the nerve to remind the all-knowing one, just how bad this guy is, right? 
God says, go, because I have a plan. Remember that God is working. And for us here, when God puts his finger on your life and he puts a call on you, when he asks you to go somewhere to do something, even if it's not this clear, uh, our, our response must simply be to trust and obey. The old hymn says there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. So we continue on. Verse 17. No, we got there. 16, I want to focus on this one. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And our third point is this. This will not be easy. This will not be easy. This life God calls us to will not be easy. This Christian life is not a cakewalk. Why? We are at war. We are at war. We have a common enemy. Um, there's some people who would suggest that if you're involved in church activities enough, if you read your Bible enough, if you pray enough, and of course if you give enough money, then your life will overflow with health and wealth and prosperity. And if you are in any way suffering, it just means that you need to give more money and that stuff will just go away. I don't think that's correct. I don't think that when we accept faith, we should expect to have three Cadillacs in the driveway of a 5,000 square foot house. I don't think it works that way. Some people, you know what? That's how God has provided for them. Amen. But Tony Campola once said, it is not a sin to make a lot of money, but it's a sin to keep it. Right? What I'm saying is do not expect that when you claim the name of Jesus, your bank account will suddenly burst at the seams and all your body aches and pains will go away. Uh, Remember, Jesus said that we must take up our cross and follow him. I think one of the biggest disservices we can do to, in, in the North American church, we can do to new believers is to just not really give them the whole picture about this warfare that we're involved in. Right? So we, we, as believers, we preach the good news, we share our testimony, we share our faith, and the Holy Spirit does turn the light on in their heart. Not from what we, you can't argue somebody into the kingdom. Okay? The Holy Spirit has to do that work, and he does. Okay? They repent, they come to faith, and then what do we do? We kind of just leave them to it. We pat ourselves on the back, on the back and say, I did a good job. Right? I shared my faith, they, they accepted Jesus. Wow, this is incredible. Thank you, Lord. And praise the Lord that they are in the kingdom. But then what we do is we walk away. We kind of just say, well, God, take over. You're in, you do it. They're, they're in your hands now. Uh, I don't have a responsibility anymore. And I don't think that's quite right. Because I think part of our responsibility as we do bring new believers into this faith. And our responsibility is to walk with them. And to say, hey, this is discipleship. This is what... It looks like when we walk through this life together, here is someone who's walked it a little bit more than you have. And I want to help you. I want to walk with you. And we're going to go through this life together. And understand, let them understand that when they put their flag in Jesus' camp, uh, they are essentially declaring war. Right? When you say, I am on the side of God, that means the enemy says, okay, you've just put a bullseye right on your heart. And I'm taking aim. I was talking to a good friend this week. And he's sharing with me a little bit of his story. He walked a tough road uh, years ago. And he, he was not living. Uh, he wasn't saved. He wasn't living in a way that was honoring God. But one early morning, about 6 a.m., he tells me he felt the pull of the Holy Spirit on his heart to turn on the TV. And there he watched a televised church service. And right there on his living room floor, 
he bursts into tears and the flood of mercy and grace and forgiveness overwhelmed his soul and God saved him. Hallelujah. And he wept for hours. But in the weeks and months and even years that followed, uh, he came to find that not everyone in his life agreed with this new faith and supported him. So he drifted away from the friends he had because they were walking a way that was obviously not honoring to God. So he said, I don't want to live that way. So obviously his friends uh, went a different direction. Uh, his mother, even in, as he was years going down the road in conversations with his mom, he just he felt that there was a, a, a tension there, like she was angry at this faith that he had. And then even his wife decided she wanted no part of this God thing. And over years of trying to work it out, they eventually divorced. So make no mistake, Jesus' offer is life and freedom and healing, and he promises life to the full. But that life will be fiercely opposed. In John 10.10, right before Jesus offers life, what does he say in the same breath? The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life to the full. So remember that this life that God has called us into will not be easy, but we rest in the promise of our Lord. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Our last point, as we look at verse 17, is actually our title, He Changes Me. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him, and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. And he got up and was baptized. He ate some food and regained his strength. What does it say? Verse 17. What does Ananias call him? This brutal murderer who he argued with Almighty God about going to sea. What does he call him? Brother. Brother. Something must have happened. As he's walking in, picture it in your mind. He walks in, probably the fear of God in him. I know I have to do this, Lord, but I don't want to go. He's going to get me. But he, he looks at him and he says, whoa. Something in his spirit, in his heart, in his mind must have told him, this is not the same guy. He has been changed. For he changes me, right? He goes to see this, uh, this serial killer of Christians. And he realizes that this guy who he's heard about even though he was this serial killer of Christians, he's not the same anymore. And I think that can kind of speak to our own conversion story. Think of your own Damascus Road. Maybe you were raised in the church. You made a decision to follow Jesus at an early age. You spent years working out that salvation and allowing the Spirit to continue his work of sanctification in your heart. Maybe you were raised going to church, but really you didn't own your faith until later on, until God really got a hold of you. You kind of just went through the motions for your teenage years. That would be me. Maybe you were steeped in sin and the temptations of the world and the flesh and the enemy, and God truly did turn your life around just like that on the living room floor. Maybe you're here today and you have yet to surrender your life to Jesus. You have yet to bow the knee Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. Well, I believe that God is speaking to you very clearly today. And he's saying to you the same thing he said in Deuteronomy 30. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you. That I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. 
Now choose life so that you and your children may live. I think, I, I really believe that God, if you do not know him, is urging you to choose life. Choose life today. But for we who have embraced Jesus, who he has turned the light on in our hearts, and we've been allowed into this life, we've been redeemed and restored back to God. That day, think about that day when your eyes were opened and the chains fell off your heart and that veil that was over your mind was lifted. You and I are like Saul here. For we have been changed. So let's drive it all home with a couple points. Application one. You have been changed. You have been changed. Again, I'm talking to those who claim the name of Jesus, who have surrendered their life to him, whose spirit lives in them. You have been changed. Your heart is free. If you have yet to surrender your life, again, your heart is still in chains. You're a slave to the sin nature, as the scripture tells us. And so I urge you today, be free of it. Be free of that nature. But for the believers, you are no longer a slave to the sin nature. You're actually a slave to righteousness. Yes, we fall into sin and temptation all the time. We know this, that battle rages. There's a civil war going on inside, okay, between the, the, the sinful desires of the flesh and the rest of us. And I want to talk about the rest of us and to understand this, that your sin, if you are a believer, you claim the name of Jesus, your sin does not define who you are anymore. Your sin is not the truest part about you. Your heart is redeemed and it is good before the Lord. Okay? Again, there's a civil war where we need to crucify the flesh daily. But at your truest core, your truest heart, God sees you as a child, adopted and brought into his family. First uh, Corinthians, it gives a, a, a pretty harsh list. First Corinthians 6, so it should be up there. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What does it say? That is what you were. That's a past tense. Okay, acknowledge, yes, we slip, we stumble, we need to come before God all the time, uh, desiring and needing forgiveness to be washed again and again. But at our truest core, I want to read 2 Corinthians 5. This is what I believe. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Remember whose you are and who you are. You are a beloved child of the King of Kings. For the old has gone and the new has come. So live as though your heart has been set free. Okay, And once we let that truth sink in, then we can understand that we've been set free for a purpose and a mission, which brings us to point number two. You have a part to play. Okay, Here it is. You have a part to play. You truly have been set free so that God can use you in his grand redemption story. You've been set free for a purpose. Okay, James chapter 2 says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm, well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, then what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Whoa, you have a part to play. Christ has prepared good works for you to be involved in, okay, according to his purposes. 
you have a part to play. Okay? So I want to invite, we're going to spend some time talking with some folks who have heard that call on their lives, who've understood that they have a part to play, that God has set them free for a purpose, and he's using them uh, in, term, in, in missions. Yeah, Marge and George and Steph are going to come up, and we're going to talk to them. Now, recently, I think they went to the grand continent of Africa. So we're going to talk to them about their experience there and what God is doing and showing them and, uh, and the work that they've been called into uh, with God. So come, step right on up. Here we go. Pull out the list of questions so that I don't get lost. Here we go. So, Stephanie Moore, first yes. of all, before we get going on Africa, you guys are going to Ireland pretty quick. Yes, July 12th, 15th. July 15th. And you had a garage sale yesterday? We did. It went well? It went very well. Okay. But you still need some more help, support? Definitely, Prayer yeah. and money. Definitely, yeah. And also more things, but <laughs> prayer and money. Yeah, I'm bringing a team of 10 students. I should say students and young adults, actually. And, um, yeah, we could still use a little bit of financial support. And if you're able to do that, that would be wonderful. Mm. But if not, prayer support. Um, the kids are amazing, but God is greater. Um, so just uh, that the team would continue to uh, mold together and, of course... Um, just be preparing for them for what they're going to do and how they're going to serve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we want to partner with you that, through that as a church. Um, so, let's focus now on Africa. So, Stephanie, uh, yes. share a little bit about God's call on your life and the heart that he's put in you for, uh, for Africa. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, I was blessed and um, had an amazing time. I got to go with these two amazing people to Africa um, a few weeks back and had an incredible time. Um, God put two things in my heart sort of my entire life. One of those was to become a nurse, and the other was to go to Africa. And so I've accomplished both of those, which is exciting and thrilling. But I know the journey's not over. Um, I had an amazing time, and I know he's called me back, but I don't know in what capacity or when. Um, I think it has to sort of partner with nursing, so that might not involve hands, and it might involve hands, but um, I'm excited nonetheless. Mm. Sure, a little bit about a little dude named Moses in okay. Zambia. Um, oh, the pictures aren't showing. There was a picture... There- they're scrolling. Which oh, one is he? He's the... Is he the first one with your hands no, on him? No, he was the individual little boy who's smiling. So anyway... Oh, the, the hands, the... That was a boy in... That face? was in Malawi, actually. Okay. Um, no, Moses was a little four-year-old that I met in Zambia. Um, we arrived in this village called Maranatha, and all the kids were scared of us. All these white people got off the bus. Marge and George weren't there, but there was other um, internationals from the UK and such. And he was the only little boy who came up with the older adults and shook all of our hands. And then for the rest of the day proceeded to hold my hand. And that was probably a good four or five hours as we walked around his village, including 10 kilometers to, um, nearly to the DRC. And it was just, yeah, he just, he touched my heart, even though we never said any words. And the only reason I learned his name was because one of the care workers had told me. Mm. Um, yeah, it was amazing. Awesome. Let's uh, move over to George. Um, so you just came back from Africa. You were in there for a month. Yeah. And, uh, a year ago you went for a month as well, right? That's correct. Yeah. So talk a little bit about, uh, just the seeds that were sown in that first trip and how you've, and we'll move to March and kind of say how, how God has grown those. But what seeds were sown that first trip a year ago? A year ago we went to, uh, Africa where our main was to go to Zambia. But on the way to Zambia, we went through Malawi. It's a roundabout way, but um, looking back on it, we see that it was God's way. And 
In Malawi, we met some wonderful people and made wonderful relationships with them. And in going back this year, we could see that they remembered us and the relationships were real. And we could see how God is working with them in the one year. It's been amazing, the work that has gone on and that we were called back. Mm -hmm. We could see even it confirmed on us that we were called to serve in Malawi. Mm. So those relationships that you established the first time, they just continue to grow uh, this next time around? Yes. So what, yeah, how has God confirmed that call uh, to, to be there, March? Um, the conclusion of our trip was um, planned to have a week in South Africa. And uh, that's where we uh, sat down and met with leadership. Um, they had already approved our, our coming in September, but we hadn't worked out any of the details or our assignment. So when we sat down with leadership, they had not had an opportunity to unpack with us our experience in Malawi. Um, but they they shared with us that they prayed and uh, had determined that if we were willing, we would stay in South Africa for up to a year and support uh, the countries that Hands at Work is involved with from South Africa. And their key objective was uh, that we would support Malawi. And so that was just a confirmation in our hearts. Um, There are eight countries, and yet of those eight countries, um, they had selected Malawi for us. And we knew God had already begun a good work in our hearts uh, in relationship with that country. Mm. So how, um, who, when you do go, um, and uh, I'm going to skip ahead, Uh, what's next for you guys? Are you heading out? In September, we are heading out to South Africa mm-hmm. to have orientation. And we're going to be working with Hands at Work and living in community. And uh, living in community is quite close quarters. We share um, bathroom facilities, kitchen, and uh, we're looking forward to it. Mm. It's going to be very exciting. How long? We have given them a two-year commitment. Um, they've graciously allowed us to come home mm. during that two years. Um, it's your grandchild that's coming. Hey. Well, we'll and, um, get you up here when you get back. Yeah. And uh, the first um, st- uh, time will be three months. Okay. And when you go, who are you going to be working with directly? Like, who does Hands work with? Uh, directly. Um, Hands at Work is um, an organization, a Christian organization that cares for orphans and the most vulnerable in communities um, throughout eight sub-Saharan African countries. So um, it's broad. Uh, They're working in 65 communities and um, it's sustainable development through the local church in Africa. So uh, partnering with uh, that local church to raise up volunteers who will be care workers um, to work directly with orphans and vulnerable people. So, What are the greatest needs facing hands right now? Right now, one of the greatest needs that is facing hands is um, getting the local churches and international churches um, involved in committing to supporting communities and uh, helping in the work. Mm. And you mentioned there's, there's 6,000... Yeah, 6,000 new orphans per day in sub-Saharan Africa. So it's an overwhelming uh, task. Mm. Yeah. And so then for you guys, what, what makes you come alive? What gets your blood flowing when you, when you think about Africa and that, that need and that work? What, what, what has God put in you uh, that gets you going? What uh, he's put in me is uh, the model that Hands at Work um, has, and that is to reach 
the most vulnerable, the poorest of the poor, orphans. And um, that has really touched my heart, that they, they are working um, to reach those children. Mm-hmm. So how can we as a church then partner with you as you go? How, what, what are your needs? How can we support you? We really need people to stand behind us in prayer. This is a challenging work. It's not easy at all. And uh, um, that would, we would covet that the most. Um, if you are interested at all in, in hearing reports from us and would like to give us your email, we'll try and send updates as uh, regularly as we can. That in itself is a challenge. We discovered this last time um, just having access to email. But we would uh, really want to partner with um, people who are standing behind us in prayer and so they could be informed. And we are raising our support. So if you have an interest in getting behind us in that way, then we would appreciate that too. You can speak to us. Yeah. Well, let me pray, and then uh, I'll say a few things to close us, uh, close our time. So, Lord, I pray uh, for Marge and George. I pray for Stephanie as well as she leads this team to Ireland. Uh, would you have your hand upon her, and may, may she lead well and uh, do your work uh, following the, the, the instructions that you will give uh, by your Spirit. Would you bless their trip that's coming up, I pray. And for Marge and George, this call that you have placed on their hearts and their lives. Uh, I thank you that they've been made aware of, of what you have put within their heart to do and the passion uh, for those who are helpless and almost hopeless. And so that they have this message of hope that they can bring uh, to these most needy children and, uh, and the people that take care of them. And so I pray for them as they prepare to go. Would you just pave the way? Uh, would the finances come? And would people get behind them in prayer and support them and uh, know that your gospel is being preached and uh, your hope is being, being brought to the ends of the earth? And so I pray that you would uh, be with them as they prepare to go. And we thank you and, you pr- and we praise you uh, that you have called them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. So let me wrap it up. Brothers and sisters, we have been changed. Like Saul, the scales on the eyes of our hearts have fallen off. We are a new creation in Christ. So live as though your heart has been set free and understand that you've been set free for a mission and for a purpose. For Jesus says to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And rest in this promise from our Lord. Surely I am with you till the very end of the age. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for this word this morning. God, would you, by your spirit, impress upon our hearts and minds what you want us to hear today. God, would you set ablaze in us a passion for your your word a passion for your church, a passion to see this gospel preached and proclaimed everywhere, uh, outside these doors in our community, on this island, province, nation, continent, and around the world. Um, We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time we've had together just to sit at your feet, study your word, and worship you. For you are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.